Season's greetings, everybody. Back, getting closer and closer to uh, the 31st. Very excited about that, despite the fact I'm going to be spending my Halloween inside a warehouse this year. But all right, it is what it is. Happens to the best of us. Um, Yeah, tell me about it. Today, we're (laughs) welcoming on one of the first uh, female guests, which I'm actually very happy about, and someone who I've spoken to a little briefly and actually found out we're in pretty close proximity. It's always cool to meet uh, new people and new uh, interesting faces on social media. It's one of the best things about it. So Outlaw Priestess, however you'd like me to refer to you, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us today. Thank you so much for asking me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, I actually am fine with just Lilith. Uh, Priestess is my chosen honorific for BDSM purposes. Um, and obviously it has some other meaning, but Lilith is fine. Well, of course, Lilith, thank you. I mean, I, I was kind of curious about that because I was looking through uh, some of the stuff on your social media page and I saw that Priestess was in fact something that was more honorific, like you said. Uh, I was a little more curious about that because for the uninitiated, that can seem you know, a little confusing. So if you can like outline that a little bit and what that means to you and your practice. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, in BDSM, um, there's a lot of precedent in history for people having uh, scene names, whether that's because they're in the kink closet, as it were, and they can't come out, uh, so other names are for their safety, which is not the case for me, or it's just how you choose to present (laughs) uh, sort of in that culture and in that world. And especially as a professional dom, um, you know, we almost need to have titles, uh, you know, honestly, just so people online know how to refer to us. Um, so I don't get mistaken for a submissive, which is always really hilarious when that happens. Um, and personally, I mean, I started out identifying with a lady when I started my mentorship under, uh, you know, my mentor, Soma, and I wanted it to speak to my point in the journey as sort of like uh, maybe a novice or someone who was at the beginning, but um, she sort of gifted me uh, the title of goddess recently. I guess I could uh, talk about that later, but I sort of decided that priestess was closer to what I feel I do. And goddess is really beautiful. but there are a lot of women who go by goddess in my uh, profession. And frankly, I wanted to stand out. So there's that too. Well, yeah, the, in terms of monikers, goddess is pretty high up there. And I, I think I have, <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, you know, that's setting the bar pretty high just right out the get go. But I have seen um, other people who go uh, under goddess as an example, all these other titles. Like it's very interesting if you look at the history of it, like you were saying, these are titles that people would identify with since they had to stay in the closet. And that's, of course, very much not the case anymore, at least not what it used to be. Uh, Your Mm -hmm. line of work is not new, per se, but in terms of its societal acceptability, it is definitely becoming new. How has that experience been for you and actually doing the work that you do? Sometimes I think about this. um, You know, we're definitely shedding a lot of stigma. And for me, like living in Los Angeles and California, I definitely don't experience anywhere near the kind of stigma or issues that someone in maybe a smaller town might deal with. Um, and I think actually our uh, mutual friend, Patrick, AKA Bikerwich asked me like, if I've run into any of that. And I said the same thing that I'll say right now, I've literally cut anyone off the second they start saying shit like that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think it's really, 
especially because of the plague with, you know, there's almost this cliche of like people joining OnlyFans and stuff and like may the gods bless them. But I hope people realize and take away from this that like whatever kind of sex work you're doing, whether it's online, doming, camming, whatever, it is work. Um, so when we all sort of go back to quote normal or whatever that means, um, you know, this will still be work, whether it was an experiment for someone else or if it's a career or a stepping stone or whatever it is for you. Um, yeah. So I, I think it can, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, being in Los Angeles in terms of doing work like that, it's, you're in the Mecca. There's all kinds of different, uh, personality oh, okay. types and things like that going on out there. I think to kind of clear it up a little bit, because I think this can be a question, you know, you hear the word sex work and immediately you're like, oh, prostitutes. That's immediately what right. people tend to jump to. So in, in terms of like what you actually do and the services that you provide, what is it that you do and what is it that you feel you provide? Well, that's sort of a, where the title of priestess ties in, because uh, what I feel I do, or rather what I, uh, you know, bring to the table, as it were, is sort of a what I think of as sacred space and a container for uh, Jung said that neuroses came from people being unwilling to suffer that which they need to suffer. And frankly, that is what I do. Um, and that's part of why I care so much about training and safety. And, you know, I have a sort of very tribal experience with BDSM and it was something of a lifestyle for me well before I decided to take it uh, on professionally. So I have nothing but respect and support for all kinds of sex workers, you know, from full service to camp girls to whatever. Um, and I sort of, I, I choose to still use that word sex work, uh, just because, you know, we are all under the same umbrella, you know, whether or not we do the same things or not. Um, I think people are just kind of surprised because I am extremely strict about my physical session rules. Um, I do not allow substances of any kind to be used in my presence. Um, and the only part of me you will ever touch is my feet while you are massaging them, period. That is it. So, and that's just my prerogative. Like that's no shame on anyone who has different boundaries. That is their choice. Um, I fully believe in decriminalizing sex work. It's consenting adults, but the only part of me you will ever see unclothed is my feet. So there's that. Yeah. So I, in terms of that, uh, you can outline from the get-go, like the separation between, of course, like destigmatizing, like you said, absolutely decriminalizing stuff like this. Mm -hmm. I see no reason not to. You got massage parlors and many other forms of work that operate in sort of the yeah. same sphere. There's no reason to be criminalizing stuff that people are quite frankly going to do anyway. I think we understand they that. Are. <laughs> So, of oh, course, yeah, I, you mentioned uh, the priestess title, and that's like a role that you take on, which is a, a big part of BDSM is embodying some kind of role and using that to, uh, you know, enact pain or pleasure, whatever it is that you're trying to get out of the experience. And, of course, that mm -hmm. ties into your spiritual path as well. How so? And what exactly is your spiritual path? I know you've mentioned paganism and things like that in other conversations that we've had, but how is that mm -hmm. expressed in uh, what you do and just outside of that? Sure. Well, as far as my path and my practice, I've been a practicing druid for over five years. Um, I'm part of ADF, uh, which is maybe the biggest American druidic organization. It's like our equivalent of OBOD, if anyone's familiar with Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. 
Um, but as far as the witchcraft, I mean, I sort of came up, I say came up, from the time I was a teenager till now, um, I was taught traditional crafts, so like uh, sabbatic European hedgecraft, uh, more or less. Um, and I had a mentor in that capacity for some time, and I, you know, took a lot of classes and studied with other people, and just a lot of hands-on. Um, I, you know, you got to be willing to get your hands dirty. So uh, I think the question is how that ties into what I do. I, uh, I get distracted sometimes. Yes, exactly. No, no worries. There's all kinds of different. I mean, one of my favorite parts about doing this in particular is that there are so many different parts of uh, philosophy or spirituality. Like those terms themselves are very broad and the expression that right. people actually have and how they express them in their day to day lives. That's what interests me. It's like, how is right. that you, you say you fall in line with this philosophy or you study it or you embody it or whatever, but how do you actually do that in the how work that, that people up? do? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, there's um, there's sort of like a coven structure and mythology implied by uh, tradcraft. And one of the archetypes that I really have a lot of love for is what people in British traditional crafts call the man in black. Uh, in Wicca, you would call that a watcher or a catcher. And basically what a man in black, and that's not gender specific, um, what they do is to sort of hold the boundary and hold the line of sacred space because the idea of sacred space is what makes magic possible is the container that it's not spilling into all parts of your life that you can and this is where the term hedge witch comes from is you jump over the hedge from typical mundane reality into you know the chaotic realm of experience whatever you want to call that other realms and you come back with some kind of gnosis or effective change and i have always you know sort of associated that role with being a dominant because you know the man in black role is also they're responsible for making sure that people are okay that they do the work they need to do but they can tell the difference between someone say having a panic attack mid-ritual or someone who's crying because they're doing the work that needs to be done um you know and when they are done they're sort of there to catch them when they fall and that is what makes the work possible so, you know, as a dom, you know, getting into that kind of, I guess, redemptive suffering is what I would call it. If you're going to have an experience that is emotionally intense or physically intense, whether that involves humiliation or physical pain, um, you know, that can't just be something that you carry without any kind of um, uh check-in afterward i suppose and so that's where you know my overlap and my practice really comes in because in bdsm what we have for that kind of check-in afterwards is called aftercare where it's like you're not a dirty filthy slut who's useless you are a valuable person i respect you uh you know like giving snacks and blankies or whatever um unless i hate you in which case <laughs> okay i'll talk about that later um and in magic you know you have grounding which is where you kind of let the energy of the work go. You don't carry it. Um, because if you are, say you do some kind of ritual to Kernunos or one of the horned lords, and you decide, oh, I don't need any grounding, I'm going to drive home like this. Like people uh, at the most extreme have gotten into car accidents like that, um, or at the bare minimum are maybe a little too horny <laughs> to go about their daily life. 
So it's good to have separation. Um, so as far as, you know, how all those things come together, I think the greatest loss of modern life is the fact that we really have no initiation. We have absolutely no, um, you know, process for evolving into mature adults at the bare minimum. And, you know, like when we stopped living in tribes, when we evolved into these cramped, uh, overpopulated cities, we lost a lot of what it meant to be human. Um, so I, you know, what I do and why I've always been drawn to BDSM as a participant, you know, not just a professional, um, is it really brings back a lot of that initiatic experience. It brings back a lot of that tribal experience. And that's always been what separates it from pure hedonism to me as well, because, you know, there are people who just use it to get off. Right. Um, and, you know, you can do whatever the hell you want, but I think you're kind of squandering some really potent uh, experiences by treating it that way, because this is something that can teach you about yourself. I mean, this is, we don't, and this is especially something for men, right? Where like, we sort of have this idea that because women have periods, they have something that marks us from, you know, girl to woman or whatever, but men, and like Robert Moore talks about this in his work, it's like you either get the military fatherhood or some kind of massive trauma, but there's no like, you know, you go out and find your spirit animal and come back. Um, and that's what's so fascinating to me about uh, the world of mythology and about uh, sort of indigenous practices anywhere in the world, because we used to have rituals for this. And without those things, I think people are seriously lost. So if you treat BDSM not as just something hedonistic, not just as some kind of sexual gratification, which I don't practice it that way, incidentally, like it can, but like if I'm with a romantic partner, sure. Um, but to me, I see it as, uh, you know, a, an opportunity to do that. Although the way you broke it down and described it, especially uh, you referenced Jung earlier, it's almost a form of uh, therapy or shadow work in incorporating these uh, experiences that you have and releasing tension or releasing a lot of these energies. Like you're just talking about like Sir Nuno's conducting a ritual and then going ahead and proceeding on with your day. And then, oh, oh no, things are happening. It, it's yeah. a form of grounding. It's a form of not just expressing or uh, getting rid of things, but of yeah. almost like spiritual evolution. It's a form of spiritual practice for you. And the aftercare as well, being that grounding. I think it's very fascinating when you, you kind of form it that way, almost like a therapy. Thank you. I mean, it's a, I like to say that BDSM at its best should be therapeutic. It's definitely not a substitute for therapy, if that is what you need, but it should be cathartic. It should be in some manner redemptive. Like there should, I, it's definitely another method to achieve gnosis in my opinion. So. Yeah, that's a very fat. I mean, I haven't read anything like that going back a couple thousand years, but I wouldn't at all doubt that <laughs> gnosis and this idea of progression, this idea of gaining a deeper level of understanding, it only makes sense that you can experience that through physical experience. You know, right. we're very much grounded in the physical world, but that also ties into uh, knowledge that goes beyond that, you know, and understanding, right. yeah, the synchronicities and subtleties of uh, existence in our lives. And I definitely, of course, 
sex work being an emotional experience as well, it can very easily tie into that. In that way, it definitely is like physical experience and even sex as an extent has been a part of rituals for a very, very long time and even uh, modern day rituals as well. Definitely. I mean, there's, uh, you know, the, that's one of the other archetypes is the sacred whore that Mm -hmm. integrates you into a more complete individual from your sort of raw base ingredients. Um, But yeah, there's, um, I can't remember the exact names of the tribes, but this was part of my Druidic homework. There's something called the Dedicant Path, um, where you have to do a lot of writing and a lot of research to sort of uh, earn your next stripe as a Druid. And one of them was to research, um, you know, who used to live on the land, uh, wherever you're living. And I think it was, yeah, it was the Tongva and Gabrielino tribes. And their initiatic rites for men were absolutely physically intense. I mean, they would, they would physically flagellate you, right? So that's something I do is flogging. Um, They would have them put like, you had to put fire ants on your own face as a show of courage. And if you refused to do it, you were marked as a coward and you never lived it down. Um, And after all these sort of physical uh, trials, you had to go out and go on a spiritual journey to find your spirit animal. And you had to come back with one period. So yeah, I think the physical, I mean, also there's a, there's a similar, branch of uh, traditional witchcraft uh, that's sort of called the poison path that talks about uh, sort of these like uh, these plants or not plants uh, these experiences that are that have a destructive capacity that can lead to a cathartic experience because they're a catalyst for some kind of change or uh, inner knowledge just by forcing you into a position of some kind of distress really putting fire ants on your face to test your courage. Talk about toxic masculinity, guys. (laughs) (laughs) These ancient rites, though, I mean, they they were meant to prove a point. And that's one of the things that I I deeply appreciate. I can't say I know too terribly much about the Druid culture. Specifically, I do have a friend who would jump at the chance to to explain that. And he has multiple times. I'm just not very good at retaining that. But one of the things... Yeah, I, I know. Sorry. Sorry, Christian. I know you're listening. Um, one of the things that I deeply appreciate about like pagan cultures and uh, of course the Druids fall under that as well is the fact that you, of course, putting emphasis on the fact that, you know, take a look at the land that you live on and the ancient tribes that used to live there. That's fascinating. And that way, a lot of these pagan cultures all throughout the world are tied together. And of course, it's a, it's a very central idea to paganism in that they're all connected through their expression of their spirituality and there's not nearly as much demonization there as there would be you know here in the u.s with uh, our christian basis and whatnot which actually isn't true gnosis is the true way to go but there you go (laughs) i love that I, I even remember when you were explaining Gnosis and you were talking about how uh, the work that you do can lead to that. I was reminded of, like you said, the sacred horror archetype. I was reminded of a passage. I don't remember exactly which one it's from, but it's in one of the Gnostic texts that were found at the, the Nag Hammadi in uh, Egypt. And uh, one of the passages in there spoken from a female perspective of like the female aspect of, uh, of God said, I am the mother. I am the whore. Like they're all, tied together you're all part of one singular experience you're both at the same time which i think yeah. is indicative of gnosis's uh, origins as a whole it's using your own personal experience to gain a higher understanding a more personal and a more intimate understanding of uh, god and yourself which can very easily be contrasted in the work that you do 
Yeah, I mean, the actual, I, I don't know if you would say tradition of, um, you know, sort of Nautica cultism is not something I am deeply familiar with. I mean, like the idea of achieving Gnosis, like that's something that I, you know, have a more hands-on experience with as opposed to, you know, I'm still getting there in terms of like studying it. Um, but it's, to me, that seems to make the most sense out of all the approaches. I mean, my, uh, my partner, I was kind of concerned for a while because he kept talking about Jesus and he like kept talking about the Bible. And I'm like, am I not a Christian guy? Like what the, what's going, like, do I have to leave? And then I was like, oh, you're Gnostic. Never mind. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, I'm starting to. I don't know. I mean, I totally believe if Jesus was real, Mary was definitely his wife and they were mm -hmm. super. Yeah. yeah. Mary, Mary Magdalene. <laughs> definitely. That's funny that yeah. you, that you mentioned that because it can, I'm relatively new to the Gnostic tradition as well. I've been researching it and studying it. And it was funny. He said, uh, I don't know much about the Gnostic like, like study. I haven't studied it too much, but I've experienced it myself. And then my first thought is, of course, spoken like a true Gnostic. There you go. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't even need I don't even need your traditions. Oh. I got to unlock myself. Well, I think uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that was, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the, the part, like the point of it, though, is um even in the research that I've done with uh, Gnostic, like Gnosticism and Gnosis, that's kind of the mm -hmm. point of it is that eventually you will. And one of the reasons that it initially split from the old Church of Rome structure, uh, like mm -hmm. the Orthodox structure, was that you have your own experience and eventually your experience will go beyond that which, you know, the structure of the religious, the religion that you're in. Eventually you'll yeah. move beyond the understanding of having to go to a church and sit in a pew every week and uh, you'll gain your own level of understanding that goes beyond that. And of course, that's directly opposed to the no, 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 we're in charge. We tell you yeah. what to do. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it's very liberating in terms of uh, just, just how you view that, how you incorporate that in your own life. Mm -hmm. I will never forget. There was one time. Uh, okay, so I have like a, I fetishize Catholicism. I love them so much. <laughs> like they are a walking, like they have the cult thing on a lock and I, it's evil, but I respect it so much. So I follow a bunch of Catholic Twitter and I remember oh <laughs> it's so fun. Um, there was this, I think it was a priest who was talking about praying for priests for some reason. And he was like, if there's no priest, there's no church and there's no Jesus. And I was like, Oh my fucking God, no priest, no Jesus. That was such a statement. I, I mean, obviously, Jesus is not my God. But if you're literally saying we need if you don't have the middlemen, you don't have your deity. This is why I'm a witch. You guys are crazy. Sounds huh. a whole lot like politics to me. Ha ha. Yeah, you want to look at it politically. That's something that the Church of Rome was saying a couple thousand years ago, like even just like a couple hundred years after Christ's death, it's like, no, yeah, you have, you have him. He's God, of course, but you also need us because without, right. without his representatives, you won't know what he's trying to tell you, which ah, oh, such a ludicrous concept. And I think it's, it's great to see that even with a bit of a Gnostic revival that we're seeing with just specifically Christianity, let alone all the pagan and uh, occult groups that are kind of coming up and even 
despite it being a little lukewarm and kind of diluted at this point, mm-hmm. but Buddhism and Hinduism coming to the West, it's very right. exciting to see all these different uh, spiritual revolutions that are happening outside of the bounds of a official quote unquote church. It, I think that's a lot more uh, visceral of a spiritual path and it's an actual path. It's not a place that you go to every week or a book that you read. It's, it's an, your actual experience. Right. And that's, um, you know, the Druids had this concept of the nematon and a lot of people don't know how to define it because uh, what comes up when you sort of search for it or you try to define it is an oak grove. But what a nematon really is, is a place where you experience magic and do ritual. And that does not mean a physical place necessarily, especially because in that perspective, um, you know, a lot of it does pertain to other realms, which are always present and you attune yourself to, to experience. So it's not about a physical location. It's all mental. Mm-hmm. It's all mental. That, that's where it takes place. That's where the actual spiritual work takes place is yeah. a place that you can't really go to. You're just always there. And as you even go forward and are attuning or aligning yourself with specific uh, realms or just places of being states of being, I just, I love using language like that. Like I even is a bit of a meta concept. It's kind of just underlying all spiritual discussions that I have with uh, others. I always think about that. It's like I, the conversations I have with, um, you know, you're kind of straight streamlined kind of Christians. It's uh, they're so different. And you think about like, oh, states of being or places of, of existing and conducting this ritual or this working. It's just so much more exciting language to use, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which sounds very condescending. And I definitely don't mean it to sound like that, but it's just, it's very, it's a lot more intimate. It's a lot more exciting to hear about like this, uh, this place that I went to or my sacred space or using language like that. It invokes a lot of, and Young wrote plenty about this, these uh, <laughs> hidden archetypes within us, these hidden uh, collect, collective unconscious type stuff when he spoke about Votan and the European uh, spirituality. As, as far as your spiritual path is concerned, are there any particular archetypes or gods that you align yourself with that you use as inspiration to? Well, uh, I mean, I sort of have my triumvirate of goddesses. Um, that would be Lilith, Freya, and the Morrigan. Um, so definite inspiration from mm-hmm. all of them. Obviously, both from the name. Um, I mean, the art. I mean, archetypally speaking, it's uh, it's a little complicated. I mean, I've been sort of playing with the fact that um, you know, doming and maybe even sex work itself has a really heavy element of the trickster to it, and that's something I've never actually sought out. But I was like, oh, this is just what I'm doing because. Mm-hmm. The whole point of the trickster is they never force you to do anything. They just present the option and suddenly it's being used against you, um, which I find highly amusing. <laughs> but uh, I try Spoken to... like a true trickster. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I try to balance it out with other things. And like this is something I talk about in the first class that I taught and something that I'll get into in my next Archetypal Kink class is, you know, uh, your actions are invocations, so be careful what you repeatedly do. Because um, there's definitely been moments where I was like, I've been unintentionally or un, I guess unconsciously evoking, invoking really heavy trickster energy. And then, um, you know, I wouldn't acknowledge that that's what I had been doing. And I would carry it uh, with my, 
with people I would talk to, and then I was just like, oh shit, I gotta do something about this. Um, but I prefer, you know, I like the I like the idea of the man in black. I like, um, I mean, the sacred feminine itself is something that's so huge for me. Um, like people, I notice some people in the occult or in paganism almost like turn up their noses at this book, but Women Who Run With the Wolves is like kind of my Bible in a lot of ways. Um, so I love that uh, sort of just intuitive, uh, primal femininity that people kind of don't realize Freya really embodies a lot of that. Like she kind of gets typecast into this, like almost like this Norse Aphrodite. And I'm like, stop making her a fucking party girl. Like you are missing all of the point. Like, yes, she will fuck everyone in the room and then go claim half the dead off the battlefield and then go teach Odin magic. Like she's not limited to that. So I don't know if there's just one, uh, I think it's important to maybe balance a few different ones because over-identification with one archetype is a little dangerous. I've been there. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers it. Oh no, of course it does. I was kind of expecting to hear, like questions like that are often met with, well, there's a few. And I think it's very interesting, like you, you mentioned, and it kind of comes back to the whole states of being thing. When you're embodying one archetype for, for too long or even unconsciously, when uh, mm -hmm. you have like just different periods or phases in life where you're a little more aggressive or a little more angry and you don't necessarily know why. And you can look back at mythology or uh, the concept of archetypes anyway and see your actions and see what they're influenced by and how that oh, yeah. can, uh, yeah, like the whole trickster energy thing. It's like, why am I messing with people and being more mean lately? Why? What's the yeah. deal? <laughs> That's the thing, too, is like people think they hear words like invocation and ritual and they think that means some super abstract, like overly esoteric ceremonial thing. And it's like, no, um, invocations are very practical. Like ritual can be like just what you do when you wake up. It's it's not defined by the form so much as the function. So, again, like I kind of do believe you are what you repeatedly do. I think, uh, how can you disagree with that? I mean, you, you are what you repeatedly do. You are what you think. You are what you do. Like the, uh, the decisions that you make are all influenced by things, by feelings, by emotions, by experiences. And it's up to you to really define that. It's up to you to take a hold of that. And I, I do um, agree with that as well. I've been having to kind of do some work on myself in terms of like what I think of when I am imagining like an invocation or a ritual I was listening to an interview with uh, Nurgle from Behemoth recently, and he said something along those same lines. I don't perform mm. rituals. I perform life. This is just what I do. Yeah. This is just how I live. And it, when you kind of boil it down to that simple concept, it's like you're not waking up and doing a ritual and going on throughout, like, throughout your day. You are, but in how you speak to people and how you interact with people, the uh, posts you make on social media, it, it, comes, it boils down to everything that you do. Everything that you do makes up who you are spiritually, who you are to your friends, who you are to your family. It all, it's all tied together. It's not this separate thing. Definitely. And, and that's something that I would really like to refresh the conversation on uh, for pagans, especially about the wheel of the year, because we sort of still, the way that we do our rituals around it, um, it's still very tied up in the idea of the wheel of the year as purely agricultural. Like when we were farmers, which we are just so far removed from that for the most part. Like most of us 
don't have like an emotional connection to like incorporating sheaves of wheat or grain or whatever into our rituals. And I still see people like, and I'm touched. Like I love, I'm as atavistic as an ex pagan. Like I'm totally a secret trad girl, but like just using those things, um, the point of the wheel of the year and the eight high days and like the journey of the earth is that no matter where we are, no matter how far removed we are from that experience is like, that is the experience of being human. It's the experience of being a person is going from the quote dark times where there's death and destruction and sterility back into, you know, emerging in this form of light. And then you do your activity and what like, so I, I sort of feel like, um, you know, being pagan itself is not so much about belief. It is literally just about acknowledging um, the human experience. And either you do the wheel of the year in some way, or it will unconsciously play out in you. So you can acknowledge it, or you can just let it uh, wreak havoc in your life, I think. Yeah, I mean, of course. I, I think I've, over the last couple of years, uh, most recently, like three or four years ago, I was interacting with different uh, like pagan groups and different tribes and stuff like that. And that's something that kind of turned me off from the whole thing is that mm -hmm. a lot of them are so community centric that it seems more like, you know, not to use the word in a, in a condescending mm -hmm. or a negative way, but like a cult. It's just this. Yeah. Are, yeah it's, it's very culty. We are a tribe. We are one together. And I feel like when you kind of boil it down that way, it's no different than a church congregation that meets up once a week. That's, that's essentially all it boils down yeah. to when it's not founded in the human spiritual experience, like you actually going through this cycle yourself and communing with one another as brothers and sisters, you know, I can, I can understand that. But when it's mm -hmm. so centered in this like group think and identity that you use this to create within yourself, like we are pagans. It's like, okay, right. I asked you who you were. That doesn't answer the question. You just yeah. said what you <laughs> That's fair. Like, I, I, I was also thinking, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, you were sort of talking about a bit ago the, um, you know, the thing with the church being the direct mediators of divinity on earth for people who experience, who, uh, who work that way and how, you know, sort of limiting that is. And I really strongly feel like people who, uh, I guess, convert uh, to whatever form of paganism they're doing, they sometimes do not check their baggage and they continue to practice uh, whatever form of paganism or craft the same fucking way they did their Abrahamic religions. Yep. And that's why you see these cults of personality. And it's why you see these people trying to create hierarchies and it doesn't work, but they're doing what they know because they're not adapting to the fact that we literally do not, we don't have a Bible. We do not work the same way. We're not hierarchical in that way. And as much as, you know, again, like I love tradition and there's so much value to earning your stripes and having like a family experience. It's why the coven structure that was so big from like the sixties to the nineties has fallen apart because people, it's an ego trap. Like that's purely what it is. And like, we do attract, you know, we attract flamboyant people that, which is great, but we do attract people with big ass egos who like want attention and a bunch of followers who are like, yeah, I would just want someone to fucking tell me what to do. And it's like, baby, that's not witchcraft. <laughs> you're not, like, you're not going to find a pagan Jim Jones. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I guess you, I still think about starting a cult like very often. I'm like, this could be a good time. <laughs> you know, we'll see how that goes. I could be a leader. No, it's, it's yeah. actually uh it, it was funny. And I, I think you mentioned that too. It's like this, uh, 
I think it might be more of a subconscious thing for us here in the West in terms of like we, we grew up with this, the spiritual system that we have and it's very hierarchical, hierarchical and it's very based in ego. And mm -hmm. of course, when you break free from that, but you don't really break free from that, you're like, whether you're new or you are trying to shed the baggage, trying to shed your old skin and trying to pave your own way. If you don't check that, that definitely will play into the uh, experiences that you have with other groups. And like you said, yeah. why the coven structure is starting to fall. The communal tribe is a community. It's not, you earn your stripes, but you don't earn your stripes with the intent of using them against each other. Like that's kind of yeah. where the issue comes in. Yeah. You have to be able to work together. It's not, you're not starting a church the same way you would a tribe essentially. Yeah. And a lot of people take <laughs> it into that same context and they mess with it. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's another overlap for me with, um, with kink and paganism or what have you is that like, they are such unique experiences. Like it's sort of, there's that commonality of like, oh, I can finally be myself. I can finally stop wearing my mask. Um, but it, it's an ample, both of them are amplifiers. They will amplify all of your desires, everything you carry into the room. So if you're someone that's maybe curious about power and you've never had it and maybe you've been fucked over a lot, suddenly you're like, oh, hell yeah, this is my time to shine. It's like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. But, you know, it, to me, things like power and whatever, like that is not the point, especially over other people. That's not the point of either kink or magic. But if that's what you have in you, that is what it will bring out. Like, and that's the point of, you know, that saying about there is no black or white magic, it amplifies or reflects the intent of the doer. It's the same thing with kink. So people uh, should maybe talk about that more. Well, I think you've even like one of the things that I've seen with BDSM and it's kind of a trope, I guess, for the outsider looking in. Is a lot of people will see, you know, a whole 50 shades of gray thing or whatever, but they'll look at that and assume that's abusive assume that mm -hmm. there's some form of yeah, like you said the power dynamic this is just someone mentally ill dude taking his struggles and his frustrations out on somebody and of course that's yeah. not exactly how it is but for someone on the outside looking in that's exactly what it looks like likewise with the cult leader someone who stands yeah. up and uses his insecurities to fuel the flames and attract this massive group of people that he now has power over people who yeah. take it and corrupt it that doesn't that, that's not a reflection of the core of what this actually is this is a perversion much Absolutely. like yeah that no that's totally right i mean and that's again where i uh I, i've gotten a little less afraid of sounding snobby with time like that's the issue with hedonism in both things and like uh tourism is really not a new thing in either scene it's especially not new with magic like people I feel like this is one of the ways we virtue signal to, to each other is like we sort of talk about all the ways that newbies are ruining things and like that goddamn Vikings TV show. And it's like, baby, there was charmed in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? Like there was in the, the fact alone that all of the big traditions of the 60s, like even uh, one of the big Druidic groups in America, it was literally started by a bunch of dudes who read the white goddess one time, dropped a bunch of acid and they're like, we're going to start a tradition. Like it, none of this is people being a little overexcited and eager. That's not a new thing. It's how we deal with it. That should really reflect on us. If we are a quote community, I'm not even, 
I'm honestly, if you don't go through that phase, like, I would be a little surprised because, yeah, it is that exciting and it is that awesome. Um, but it is supposed to, you know, you're supposed to kind of integrate that energy a little bit, maybe in a year or two, but it's okay. Well, of course, that's what you learn when you're, when you're on the path. Like, eventually mm -hmm. you figure out, like, you knew our tourist in the beginning and you're trying a bunch of different stuff out. I've done plenty of that throughout my life. It's like, Oh, look yeah. at this cool thing. And then I look into it and I'm like, yeah, it's whatever. Oh, look at this yeah. cool thing. Like you, you go through phases and you start understanding and learning more about yourself. And eventually, I mean, maybe you'll find something that fits. You'll find something that mm -hmm. sticks and you'll be willing to put the actual work in. Yeah. You're, you're not going to figure it out by watching a TV show, but that TV show can be a great inspiration to actually go down a path or choose something that you wouldn't have otherwise done. Totally. And to hear that, you said the virtue signaling thing. I, I saw that a lot. This was mm -hmm. around the time when I was looking into the other like pagan groups. It was when that TV show was like kicking up and, you know, yeah. all that. And everybody's getting all excited about it. And you see a bunch of cosplayers and stuff like that on Facebook. And I'm like, that's really cool. You know, if that's something yeah. you like to do, then awesome. But that's not a reflection of the actual tradition. And that's fine. Yeah. You can be excited about it all you want. But eventually you're going to have to go beyond that and to everybody who's sitting on the back like and criticizing these people these yeah. posers whatever word you want to <laughs> use it's like yeah. it's okay they'll they'll, they'll go yeah. away they'll, they'll fade yeah. away <laughs> literally just close your eyes and they will be gone like it's really not that big a deal exactly exactly and, and there's there's no reason to place this like life or death significance of it and i think you see a lot of that in uh the occult or with magicians it's this sense of superiority and that's fine everybody has it for something but it, it is a little discouraging I, it, the worst thing for me is to see that whether it be with something like uh, bdsm or something like spirituality is to see someone new and someone fresh who's really excited about it get cast aside and condescended to and talked to like garbage because they don't understand yeah. everything yet or they're super excited yeah i mean it's I really hate that. Like, that's something that I've tried to remember, like, the further that I go with both things is, like, I will maybe never forget, like, just how mean and snobby so many people in BDSM were to me when I started, because they're just like, who's this overexcited little twerp? And I'm just like, look at me now, bitch. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I try to take the urge towards pettiness and be like, okay, how do I how do I change that for the next group of people that's coming up? And it, it's, it's a little difficult. And I talk about this with my mentor sometimes is like, I want to encourage uh, people who have their heart in the right place and people who are sort of joining for what I think are the right reasons. But there's also like, you know, a bunch of people who really should be consulting Google with some of these questions, like maybe do a little bit, do a tiny bit of research first. And when, if you can't find, you know, if you can't find the information yourself, or if it's something that truly must be experienced with another human, by all means, you know, like, I'm happy to talk. Um, but I also don't want to be a substitute for Google. So there's like a, there's a balance. Yeah, because at that point, if you're being sought out, and I, you, I see that quite a bit with people who are considered experts or who are, you know, been around in their field for a little while. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people go about it in different ways. There was one post I saw recently where this rather big public figure like totally went after his fan base because someone mm -hmm. asked him like, oh, hey, where do you get your like leather bound journals that you have made from? And he mm -hmm. like just completely lost it on this guy and like took it to social media and was being yeah, very just douchey about the whole thing. It's like, I understand that. I, I get why you want to 
protect your thing, but there's a way to go about it. And the, the, yes. in order to shed that and make it easier for people, like, and especially with this particular person, he's all about building a community of strong people <laughs> and strong writers. It's like, you don't do that by yelling at some kid. He's like, oh, hey, where'd you get that from? And then you lose your mind and blow him up on social media. But yes, of course, you should know how to use Google. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, it's funny. And I actually think I know who you're talking about, but I'm not going to say anything. Um, <laughs> I feel like uh, that's what's interesting about saying things like deeds, not words. And then it's like, you realize we can all see how you act, right? Like, you know, that's the other thing with social media. Um, and also, I, I will say this, like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with simply saying, hey, like, I just, I don't have the capacity uh, to talk past a certain point, whether you're, you know, you're just busy or something. There's always a way to be graceful and kind about it. Um, and, you know, that, that's the other thing, too, is like, I almost feel the need to talk about people who talk shit on people who charge to teach magic and things like that, which I have very mixed feelings about, because for one, like, you should know your shit. Like, you can't just go to a weekend retreat and you're a shaman now and, like, you can charge people. Like, that's bullshit. Um, but I know people who have been dedicated to the craft for decades, um, you know, who have come up in covens, who speak Gaelic conversationally. They're literally a walking library. And they're still like, no, I could never charge a cent for the craft. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But, like, you got bills, dude. Like, it's okay to keep to be able to pay rent like you know like that's all right um and i feel like if someone is a true elder that was the sort of thing about the village witch like as sort of i guess an archetype is she was never exactly ballin but people would take care of her they'd bring you know food or something like that and it's not i think that's my thing it's not so much about oh i need to be paid to talk or someone should be paid to treat people like humans just do whatever little gesture that you can. So, cause it's about reciprocity. It's about if I, I don't want to say paganism as a blanket term, but what I think of as being pagan, whereas for Christians, their virtue is allegedly, allegedly forgiveness. I think it's horseshit. Um, our thing is more hospitality and reciprocity. I'm sorry. I'm in a mood today. Um, but that's the thing. It should be energy exchange. So if someone is sharing with you, then even if it's something little like, I know that a lot of this is on social media, so you can't, but when I will sometimes, um, I, I've been accused of being a little elder reverential because I, again, like secret trad girl, like when I've had coffee or lunch with people that I'm trying to learn from, I'll like bring them baking, I'll at least pay for their coffee, like just, just something. So it's like, I respect you, I see you, but yeah, that's, it doesn't need to be ridiculous. Well, that's an expression of the human element, you know, when you're, when you're actually, cause I'm, I'm the same way and I don't, I haven't, I mean, at least not to my face, nobody's accused me of that, although <laughs> I'm sure that's happened before. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like to operate the same way. I like to be courteous. I like to, um, especially like if I have someone on here that I speak to for a little while and afterwards, like let them know that this really meant something to me. I learned a mm -hmm. lot from you and that this actually means something to me. And I think I see a lot more of that in pagan groups, despite the whole, cosplay element of it that is present sometimes uh it is a lot more communal and especially i can throw uh paul wagner out there as someone who i've actually had on here and i've i greatly admire just on a business level and on a personal level as well just interpersonally he's been nothing yeah. but uh exceptional and i do 
promote that stuff. I do put that out there. I do, uh, you know, make it known that this is something that actually matters to me. And I can't think of a better example in terms of someone who, or an organization really of someone who has a message, but actually mm-hmm. expresses it in a way that is meaningful beyond just, Oh yeah. Support each other guys. It's like, no, I have a question and I will answer it for you and I will help you in any way that I can. And I find that to be the most inspiring part. And I, I think in, uh, in terms of like just kind of rounding out this whole thing, you have your own coven, which is fantastic. You have your own tribe, however you want to label it. Coven might be a misnomer, but yeah, um, <laughs> okay. yeah it might be a misnomer, but you know, interchangeable, whatever. How does that dynamic work? And how did you go about uh, meeting those, those people and, you know, building that dynamic with them? Sure. I mean, my, what I think of as my tribe, I kind of break up into two separate things and there's some overlap, but they're, they're, they're separate. Um, for my magic and my sort of pagan people, um, there is, I sort of mentioned, I think before we started recording, maybe uh, I have my people in Upland where it's one of my best friends, uh, Celestra, and she has two daughters, 119, 114, and her husband, we call Weasel. Um, and I lived with them for, think about a year when I was just epically broke. Like I was 18 or 19, I had quit my, I used to work in an office, actually. I uh, worked at a software insurance firm <laughs> and I was literally Ugh. getting gray hairs and like throwing up every day. It was not working and I had to change something and um, I was in a bad spot and they were definitely there for me. Um, and she's also uh, a priestess of the Morrigan. So that's where we sort of started to build that. Um, and I actually met their daughter first. I met uh, the oldest one when she was 14 and she's 19 now. And uh, there's, you know, it's kind of about literal family on that side. And I have some other people who I've met later in life, but um, I actually met them basically by meeting uh, their eldest uh, when she was younger at a Beltane ritual in Los Angeles that was put on by the green man. And I just see this really sweet looking little girl uh, who's just like kind of hanging out by the Maypole. And I was like, what? Your parents are cool with this? And <laughs> the short answer is yes, they are. And they're awesome. So I love you guys. Um, as far as BDSM, it's actually really interesting. Um, I'd been, I guess you could say practicing for, let's just say when I, when I was 18. Let's just say that for, <laughs> Uh, legal reasons, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was uh, I was dating another professional dom for maybe like a year, or a year or so, and I'll just say like Master Phoenix is a really really sweet guy. He's uh, one of the best rope dudes in Los Angeles, um, and he apparently has great taste in ex girlfriends because he was like, "You gotta meet." my ex. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I do not want to meet your ex-girlfriend. You are smoking crack. Um, and he was like, no, 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 just listen. Um, and he was talking about my now mentor, Gaudasoma. And he was like, you will take over the world together. And I was like, that's some big words, dude. All right. Um, he was not wrong. So, (laughs) um, basically Soma is sort of and to, I guess to a degree, Phoenix, uh, are both part of what's called uh, Servitus family. And Servitus is one of the longest running uh, sort of BDSM families, I, I want to say in the country, maybe definitely in the Los Angeles area. And they've owned a couple of dungeons over time, one in San Diego, one in downtown LA. Um, they're both not open anymore. Uh, that was kind of before my time, unfortunately. <laughs> but 
it's very, we're not a strictly, we're not what's called leather. Leather has a very strict sort of protocol on how you earn your stripes as it were. But, um, you know, I have my mentor and then she had her mentor who I call my Yaya, uh, Domina Angelina. And, uh, you know, they both have very, have some different styles. I mean, my mentor was um, taught what's considered traditionally as in she was trained as a submissive, um, which is how leather people do things by the way. And Domina is a very leather type person. But Soma and I really just started by spending time together. Um, and I did eventually ask her to sort of take me on and she said yes and I like cried. But, um, you know, it's very conversational. Uh, she's, uh, she's actually a Buddhist and she's a meditation teacher in addition to being a dom. So she's always been very big on, um, it, she hasn't said this explicitly, but it's like when if you're ready to ask something, then you get an answer pretty much. Um, so it's honestly, I think empathy is a really big part of it. Like even if the family itself is a little stretched out, like Domino lives in San Diego, a bunch of our people have, you know, all over the place, but everything that I do to other people, I have experienced on myself first. There is nothing I will do to someone else that I haven't taken at least once, maybe twice. And that's been a big thing. And what uh, some of the, teaches me and it was a value of mine before that but uh yeah i call her my mom and uh because it's like it's more like that so hopefully that that's a okay answer oh of course i i can think back he's kind of all spread out all over the place my tribe i guess you can say we're spread all over the country right now and have been for the past mm -hmm. couple of years which is kind of discouraging but you know you, you, you can yeah. figure it out as, as far as um the dynamic. I always find it interesting whenever you're speaking about, and this kind of applies to um, all sorts of different religious and spiritual practices, uh, whether it's a Hindu group, I was taking classes and um, a part of a little Buddhist community in Pomona uh, about a year mm. ago. And I experienced sort of the same thing there as well. It's very communal in that it's all universal, essentially. Things like empathy, a very conversational basis that you have with your tribe, whether you want to call it that. Some people call it a small group or a congregation. Some people call it by those names as well. But it's all sort of the same overarching theme is you being there for each other, you teaching and learning from one another. Of course, yeah. I don't think you're if you're in a congregation, you're probably not teaching each other how to be dominant or submissive. Yeah. But <laughs> at least not at least if you are, nobody else knows about it. Yeah. Um, it's a secret, but the same sort of uh, the same themes uh, interlap between all these different spiritual practices, and I think that's also very inspiring to see. Is even though we may practice a lot of the same uh, things privately, uh, mm -hmm. and we may have differences, we all kind of you know follow the same human path, and we we all share and relate to one another in a similar way. And I always found that to be inspiring. Yeah, different ways to the truth. Like you said, in a, in a bit of a mood today, a bit more aggressive than usual. Is that trickster spirit coming out again? You just gotta <laughs> yeah. get, gotta, gotta get nice at the end there. So, oh yeah, I want to well, thank you. Yeah, trickster, the fox, right here. Oh, perfect. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on and uh, speaking with me about these these kind of things. I love having weird talks like this. And again, it's always conversational. It's always fun. And there's always some sort of wacky information that's thrown out there and learned. And again, you realize it's a bit of a small world. Yeah, very. 
Well, thank you. I had a blast. Um, I love your questions, um, and I cannot wait to share this. Uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Well, again, thank you so much. And again, just for anybody uh, curious, anybody who wants to know, where can anybody find you? And of course, plug in your classes and everything else that you got. <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm pretty much outlaw priestess across the board. I think I have the same username everywhere from Instagram, Twitter, FatLife. I might resurrect the website. I'm not sure. I got a little tired of maintaining it. Um, I am teaching. I have a Patreon by the same name where I post sort of my kind of more unhinged thoughts about all of this because uh, nobody can stop me on there. Um, but I will be teaching um, a follow-up to my first class on archetypal BDSM. Uh, this one is a little more hands-on at a little bit of a faster pace, if you're ready. Um, and I'm teaching that on Zoom on October 24th. Uh, but I will be saving the recording. So, you know, anyways, uh, I'm very excited to talk about that and uh, be a crazy person on Zoom. It's like my favorite thing to do. Well, I do the same. <laughs> I do the same exact thing. Although I don't know if I'm so much crazy as I am just strange. But yeah. You know. It's all good. So thank you very much. And uh, again, I'm very, very excited to get this out there. And again, happy Halloween. Yeah. Too. Happy Halloween.